0: The scripture passage comes from Jeremiah 15, verses 10 to 21. Jeremiah 15, 10 to 20. Woe is me, my mother, that you ever bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. The Lord said, surely I've intervened in your life for good. Surely I've imposed enemies on you in a time of trouble and in a time of distress. Can iron and bronze break iron from the north? Your wealth and your treasures I will give as plunder without price for all your sins throughout all your territory. I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know, for in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me, and bring down retribution for me on my persecutors, and your forbearance do not take me away. Know that on your account I suffer insult. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I do not sit in the company of merrymakers, nor did I rejoice under the weight of your hand. I sat alone. For you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Truly you are to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you turn back, I will take you back, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall serve as my mouth. It is they who will turn to you, not you who will turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, is the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. This is the word of the Lord. Some like to call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. And it's a pretty apt name because he had a lot to cry about. He faithfully carried out the commission of the Lord, but the promised discipline, the destruction that was going to come, was very slow in coming, And so his fellow Judahites turned on him, and they began to persecute him. He says he feels like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. He tells Yahweh, I'm entirely innocent, but they still attack me. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. And he goes on to make a complaint against Yahweh. In a nutshell, the complaint is, well, I've done my bit, Lord. You've fallen down on the job. He says this, O Lord, remember me and visit me, and bring down retribution for me on my persecutor. In your forbearance do not take me away. Know that on your account I suffer insult. I did not sit in the company of merrymakers, nor did I rejoice. Under the weight of your hand I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. So this is the complaint tradition. This is the protest tradition. These are people that don't buy into the contract theology that we find in Deuteronomy and in the historical books from Joshua to Second Kings. That contract theology, as we all know, is fairly straightforward. It appeals to people who like things black and white. If you are faithful and follow the, the Torah, says the Lord, you'll be blessed. But if you walk off the path, become wayward and rebellious, the curse of Yahweh will come upon you. So it's, it's a theology that gets articulated by Job's counsellors. So Job, simile is in that protest tradition, that complaint tradition, that tradition of lament. So according to Job's counsellors, Yahweh never perverts justice. So if you are suffering, someone has messed up, and it's clearly not. It's got to be you. So this is what Bildad says to Job to offer some pastoral counsel. Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children sinned against him, he delivered them into the power of their transgression. If you will seek God and make supplication to the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely God will rouse himself for you and restore you to your rightful place. Those in the, the, the lament tradition are not happy to settle for straightforward blessing and curse theology. It's not because they're perverse or rebellious or they feel that living by the Torah is too demanding. It's simply that contractual theology doesn't give them the answers they need. Life doesn't fall out quite as neatly as that. So they get frustrated, they get distressed, they get angry, they get confused, and they cry out to Yahweh in a loud voice, Why, Lord? Why is this happening? We have not done things bad enough to deserve this horrible punishment. So it's not a cry that we are completely innocent. Is anyone here completely innocent? Is any good person here completely innocent? No, we're all sinners. But they're saying we've done nothing so bad to deserve this discipline from you, this disaster. Why, Lord? So when you read the lament tradition with Jeremiah and the Psalms and Job, we find these two questions, why, Lord, and how long, Lord? How long must we suffer? When will you arouse yourself? Wake up, God. Time to save us. We've had enough suffering. I get it. Many people like life to be neat and tidy. If you go into my office at UQ, it's one of the few academic offices that's got all the books lined up, and there's nothing on my desk. I file things, or, you know, we don't file things much today, but we kind of use computers, don't we, to store things, but... Other academics, I don't know how they work. You go in and there's this great pile of papers and half-open journals and folders. So I get it. People <laughs> like life neat and organised and planned. But life, I've discovered, is not neat. It's a great frustration for me. Life is sometimes messy, confusing, weird, alien, strange. I was sitting in a worship service, and not unlike this one, Um, praise songs, and there was a very upbeat prayer. And out of the blue, in the sharing time, one of the female leaders got up and said this, I guess that many of you are wondering why I haven't been in church for a while. You all know how much this congregation means to me and how I love to share and worship with you. Over the last few months, I've been going through a really tough time in my relationship with the Lord. For some reason, all the harsh realities in the world, the things I mostly seem to be able to keep at arm's length, have been really hitting me hard. Two of my close friends have been diagnosed with life-threatening illness. Things look pretty bad. I find myself thinking a lot about the crazy violence, hatred and killing that goes on day in, day out. Iraq, Afghanistan, the Defor region. Can't make sense of it. It's been really getting me down. I'm really normally a pretty upbeat person, but I've been totally depressed lately. For the first time, I found myself getting angry at God. We believe that God is unsurpassed goodness. We believe that God is a God of power and might. But I'm thinking to myself, things don't just add up. If all that's true, I expect God to be doing a heck of a lot more than he is. So I say to him, it's not good enough, Lord. I need some answers, but so far, nothing. You know why I haven't been coming to worship? Because I just can't face you, folks. All your bright, happy faces and joyful praise to the Lord coming right at me. You know, I don't feel much like praising God at the moment. Worship here with you is not a place I want to be right now. It really hurts me to say this, but there it is. It's the truth. I'm sorry. Um, We all sat up and took notice. Pretty amazing moment. A pretty confronting moment. If Jeremiah was sitting in the pews alongside me, he would be saying, Amen, sister. I hear you. His word of complaint against Yahweh is probably the harshest in the Hebrew Bible. That's why this is a tough text. Why is my pain unceasing, Lord, my wound incurable? Truly you are to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail. You're deceitful God, and you fail. When I read those words of Jeremiah, my reaction is, geez, would we really be talking to God like that? So that's my question. Is that the way we should talk to God? Well, there are some in the Jewish tradition who say, yeah, that's exactly what we should be doing. The Jewish theologian David Blumenthal says that God is demanding in his covenantal obligations. So we put demands on God in return. It's an I-thou relationship, this covenant, he says. As God gets angry when we're unfaithful and ignore Torah, so we get angry with God when God lets us down. Bloomfield goes on to talk about what he does in the seminary where they train people to be rabbis, a lecturer there. And in the chapel, they read the Psalms of Lament. And the Jewish students are no different to you and I. They read them with their polite, restrained pulpit voice. He says, don't do it. Feel the anger in your guts and then pray that anger to God. And some of the students do it and they they say to him afterwards, my stomach was churning, I was so upset, I I can't be angry with God. So most of us in the Christian community would find reading a lament psalm in that way equally distressing, if not more. We've been shaped by a theological tradition that emphasises the absolute sovereignty and perfect goodness of our God. Hear the words of John Calvin on this. Whatever be the kind of cross to which we're subjected, we shall in the greatest straits firmly maintain our patience. Adversity will have its bitterness and sting us, but our conclusion will always be the Lord so willed it. Therefore, let us follow. Karl Barth said exactly the same. We sit under the divine overrule of God, Everything is ruled by divine grace in Christ. The shadows sit in God's grace. The light sits in God's grace. The suffering sits in God's grace. The joy sits in God's gra- grace. We should rejoice in all things because we're experiencing God's grace in all things. I once sat in a funeral service when I was a minister of Brother It was the Anglican priest. And the man that was being buried was a, a nominal Anglican. His family didn't go to the church. And the priest said, I know that you're hurting at the moment, You're confused, and you're probably angry with God. Why did God let this happen? Why did he have to get sick and die? I want to say to you, if you're feeling that, God's got broad shoulders. You can get angry at God, you can yell at God, you can say whatever you like to God, and it'll be okay. At the time I thought, that's good pastoral advice. And a little while later, one of my elders in the congregation, I'd been in the congregation very long, said, Oh, the previous minister was terrible. The previous minister preached the sermon and said, it's okay if you're feeling distressed and confused to get angry with God. It's okay. She said, what irresponsible nonsense. That's dangerous to preach that. And the message was, of course, to me, you might be preaching that nonsense. Will you? <laughs> so lament is indeed a dangerous tradition, but it's certainly not nonsense. The lament tradition is about having our dangerous saying. It's about pushing the relationship with God to the boundaries of acceptability. It's a dangerous way to live. Uh, To be honest, am I up for it personally? Uh, I struggle. I really struggle. I was brought up in a good Scottish family. My dad was Scottish. Very restrained, very polite, very doer. Accept all things. Don't get angry. So it's tough, and I appreciate that. Maybe little baby steps. Baby steps towards expressing our true feelings with God Uh, did my PhD in Edinburgh and I was serving an inner-city church and we used to have a lunchtime service and we invited a guest preacher a church of Scotland minister who'd been a missionary to Africa come back after 20 years in Africa when they sing their songs of praise what do they do? Dance and he said and so he's teaching us some of these new African songs of praise and he said you just have to dance but We're Scots, so we're going to do this. (laughs) (laughs) I won't try and do what a more exuberant dance would be. I am Scottish too, so I'm a bit restrained. Um, But so maybe baby steps, you know, maybe not quite full-blooded lament, but for some of us like me who find this really confronting, baby steps towards being really honest in prayer. I once read an article about Jerome, great title, Praying to Survive. What the article was about was that, that sometimes when things don't add up and we're really feeling confused and distressed in our faith, that telling God the way it is really, being honest, letting the raw emotion come before God rather than dressing everything up in polite language is to survive in our faith. And it's like a couple. If they don't re- they're having trouble in the relationship, things aren't going well. If they're not honest, and they just slowly drift apart. So, you know, anger and honesty within a relationship can often be healing because we at least are being honest. But the other side of it is not good. We're slowly drifting. So slowly drifting away from God, and then one Sunday you're not in church, and one Sunday you don't pray anymore, and then it's just... So praying just to survive. The psalmist made their protest to God. Psalm 22 was a classic psalm of lament. But what happens next? There's always this affirmation of God's saving power, always this affirmation of praise and the goodness of God. They never wandered into accusation and condemnation of God. They knew the boundaries of protest. What makes this such a tough text is that Jeremiah seems to drift beyond where he should drift. He tells God he's like a deceitful brook. He's like a failing God. For me, that's kind of a step too far. I don't think I could ever pray like that. So the other interesting thing about our passage is that here is this incredible, strong, honest, raw protest against God. And as in the book of Job, Yahweh does not answer it directly. I mean, Yahweh doesn't say, oh, fair point, Jeremy. i very slow in, in destroying the land, as I said I would, so fair point. Let's talk about it. Let's reach a compromise. Yahweh seems to ignore it, as he does in the book of Job. And what he does is to say a couple of things. I call you to renewed faithfulness, and I call you to trust in my saving power. This is what he says. I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. So I think it is healthy to be honest with God to allow raw emotion with God, not to always feel that we've got to hide how we really feel because God mightn't like it. I think the Anglican priest was right. I think God's got broad shoulders and he can take it or she can take it. Sometimes we really are praying to survive. But the psalmist knew, and this is what Yahweh reminds Jeremiah about, that the God to whom we pray is not impotent. The God to whom we pray has made promises that that God intends to keep. That was what was behind the psalmist, always affirming the greatness of God, the fidelity of God. So that the lament tradition is not a negative, it's not a faithless tradition. It's a tradition filled with faith, filled with hope, filled with expectation. So you, I think you can embrace the, the lament and, and embrace just as strongly, if not more so, as the psalmist did, as, as Jeremiah did and as Job did. The idea that we trust absolutely in God's word to Jeremiah. God's word to Jeremiah, his last word was this, trust me, I'm with you to save you and deliver you. So let's take that word with us as our last word. God says to you and to me and to our church, I'm with you to save you and deliver you. Trust me. Amen.